This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. It's, uh... TGIF, thank God it's Friday. That's what Sid keeps saying. And um, <laughs> we have a common sense Democrat and a common sense Republican. Uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg in the studio. And we have a common sense uh, Republican, Andrew Giuliani. Uh, well, it and is he's an honor to be in with you guys. Today. And he's got a new 30-year contract with WABC. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Sean. time off to run for office. I am very excited about that. I'm less excited about the ankle bracelet that uh, the judge ended up supplying me with that. But uh, to have the opportunity to join WABC to see what you've been able to do with this station over the last couple of years. Well, we a just... station that's steep in history, uh, it really is an honor. And to work with some of the best in the business, like Sid Rosenberg, uh, to watch Curtis Lewa, to watch you, uh, it's an honor. And there's also a guy a named Rudy here, who's pretty good. There. I like too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew. And uh, Andrew, uh, it's an exciting thing to get the truth out. Yes, it is. And that's the important thing. And, and of course, Sid Rosenberg <laughs> My completing a full week here. And uh, did you have fun, Sid? I loved it. I actually said to Rich today, I said, I'm going to miss you guys next week. It's a completely different show than what I do in the morning. But it's equally as fun, and you got a great cast of guys. Uh, the judge is brilliant. You're the best. Uh, the guys I worked with yesterday, Tony and Ed, all week long. Uh, you know, when you when you listen to the show, it's really good. When you watch the show as it's happening, you start to understand why it's so good. So it was an honor for me, too, to quote Andrew Giuliani. I loved it. Thank you well, so much. Well, can I tell you something? It was fun doing it with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I think we, you. We, we play off each other. We we we. We scream, we holler. Yeah. I mean, I had to apologize to Al D'Amato for you today. I know, but you know, it's he, funny. He I guess had, we got the phone too quick. He's got his feelings hurt. <laughs> and Al D'Amato is a he's such a sensitive, he's you know, such a sensitive guy, Al D'Amato. He, he? he had a couple. He had a couple things to say about uh, a Rudy Giuliani. So I promise I didn't pay Sid off for yeah, hanging up yeah. on Al D'Amato. You know what? And, and, and the, I'm the guy that heaps more praise yeah. on yeah. guests than anybody. You're great. You're great. But in this case, we had another guest on the line. Yeah. So we had a run, and uh, D'Amato really wanted. Everybody to go how great he is on the way out. I love Alphonse, don't get me well, wrong, but we're gonna he can't be that If Santos leaves that seat, we're going to run him for Santos' seat. We have seat. a campaign committee all set up here. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Instead of Lee Zeldin, we'll go with him. Now, I understand we have a very important uh, uh, guest today. We do. We're going to start the show off. We've got five very important guests today. Five, and it's a huge weekend, of course, here in New York, too, with the football giants playing the Eagles tomorrow night. That's a huge story on every show. But Ambassador John Bolton is on the phone right now. And, of course, Ukraine, Russia, that still rages on. Still a story on the nightly news every night. John, John Katsimatidis, Judge Weinberg, Andrew Giuliani, and Sid Rosenberg. Welcome back to Cats at Night, buddy. How are you? Great, glad to be back with you. Nice to have you. So, give us give us the latest Ukraine Russia. Is there is there an end anywhere in sight with well, that war? They haven't spent enough money yet. Yeah, they please, spend uh, enough yeah. money, <laughs> and then we're going to spend and then we're going to spend the rest of the money rebuilding the Ukraine. You're right. You're right. Uh, John's right about that, uh, Mr. Bolton. But expand on what John Katzmatidis just said. <laughs> well, right now, unfortunately, it looks like the war is going to grind on. And in fact, today we've had the. Uh, 
news that uh, NATO allies couldn't agree on supplying the Ukrainian request for uh, main battle tanks, which I think they're going to need against the possible Russian invasion, a a renewed offensive in the north, a lot of talk about that, uh, or to give the Ukrainians the ability to push through the Russian line sometime this spring uh, and push the Russian forces out. You know, this is uh, this is this is taking on more and more significance every day. And uh, uh, they're not watching it any more closely than any any place other than Beijing, uh, looking to see how the West responds to this uh, act of aggression by the Russians. Uh, Ambassador uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir, what's the problem in NATO about getting tanks to the Ukraine? What, what's the politics? What's the economics? What's the long term strategy? Well, in a word, the problem is Germany, and uh, they've been saying they won't send their tanks unless we send ours. And it's uh, it's just it's a perpetual problem with the German government uh, that they they won't they won't uh, shoulder their fair share of the burden. And uh, this is just another example of it. Right after the beginning of the war, the German chancellor promised a sea change in German policy, promised to spend 100 billion euros of new money on defense. He promised to buy 30 American F-35s at a cost of 30 billion of those euros. None of that has happened yet. Now, the British, as they have done consistently, uh, have already promised they will send battle tanks to uh, Ukraine. I think the Poles aren't going to wait around anymore. They're going to send battle tanks because this war is taking place right on the Polish border uh, and and the border of other Central and Eastern European states. That's a, that's a, a real threat to them. So they're moving ahead. The Germans are not. The Biden administration is indecisive, as usual. Now, is Poland going to cross which border first? Well, the 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 Poles have a long border with Belarus. And one of the real problems here is that Putin and Lukashenko, the head of the president of Belarus, the dictator there, uh, have been coordinating their policies. You know, the, the Russians, I, I worry almost any day we're going to hear that Belarus has been reabsorbed back into the Russian Empire. And that, of course, would further endanger uh, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania, the Baltic republics and uh, put Poland, you know, right on the Russian frontier again. You know, there's a healthy amount of Americans. I know you know this, John. Of course, we hate seeing the videos and the pictures coming back, innocent women and children slaughtered in the streets by Putin and the Russians. But there's a healthy amount of Americans, including me and the guys on my show, that are a little tired of giving this country money and money and money. In fact, the United States is broke. We have no money. We are in no position to borrow more money to give to Ukraine with this war with Russia, which, by the way, they've hated each other for a thousand years. What would you tell people that remain critical of continuing to give money to Ukraine over this war? Well, I think the first question to ask is, do we still believe, as we have since 1945, that peace and stability for free nations on the European continent is in America's interest. This is, to me, this isn't a question about giving Ukraine anything. Uh, we're doing something in America's interest by standing up to this aggression, just like George H.W. Bush stood up to Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait. Uh, we've got NATO allies right on the border of this war uh, that would be threatened if Russian aggression uh, succeeds. What else have we accomplished in this war? I think Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin said six or seven months ago now, what's happening is the Russians are feeding their army into a wood chipper. So we are seeing the degrading of Russia's military capability. Unfortunately, it comes for the Ukraines 
uh, at a cost of their country being ground into the dust. But from the American point of view, uh, we're getting enormous benefit out of this. Moreover, we battlefield tested some of our most important weapon systems, and, and the news is they do great. Now, should we push the Europeans to do more? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But is what's happening in Ukraine today worth it from the American point of view, financially, politically, militarily, economically? Absolutely. You may be right, but I think so many Americans, to Sid's point, are asking for more of a line-by-line account of this. You're talking about $100 billion that have already gone there. We just want to see where that money has gone to. We know that there's corruption in Ukraine for a very long time. It doesn't mean that we don't want to stand by our Ukrainian brothers and certainly understand the effects of NATO countries in the region. Uh, but I think Americans are asking for more of a line by line of where their money is going when you're talking about a hundred billion dollars. Well, Andrew, I have to. Well, I don't think that's un, un, unreasonable, but you know, we're not sending the money as such, ex- with a few exceptions. We're sending Javelin anti-tank missiles. We're sending HIMARS uh, rocket artillery. Uh, we're sending substantial quantities of ammunition, uh, and and in fact, that that has we 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 need generally to get American defense production lines warm again to replace all this because we may need it in the future. But it's not that we just write them a check for $100 billion. We're giving them hardware. We're spending money on training them, that kind of thing. They're being trained at American bases in Germany. So I don't have any trouble with accountability, but we certainly we've we've never come close to giving them a blank check. Ambassador, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. And I recently read your article, which was – very well taken. We cannot go back to the bad policy of isolationism. We pay a price for isolationism. We can't idly stand by when you have adventurous and uh, aggressive people like the Russians going yeah. into a, a democratic elected but, country. Uh, Judge, I want to go into the, the next step. We know what we have with Russia. Putin has been uh, arguing now he's not only fighting Ukraine, he's fighting all of NATO. And the next question I ask is, uh, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, there's some, NATO has some, made some noises. Whose side is Erdogan really on? And I'd like to ask the ambassador on. Well, thanks. Uh, let me just say first, I appreciate uh, your reference to my article in National Review. Let's, let's uh, give a shout out to our friends over there. The article's on the website. Which Lowry, the great Which Lowry, we love him, yes. Absolutely. And, uh, John, you're, you're talking about an article I, I wrote in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. Uh, I think there's real legitimate question about whether Turkey is acting appropriately as a NATO ally, starting uh, about six years ago with the purchase of Russians' highly sophisticated S-400 air defense system, which is utterly incompatible with any other NATO air defense capability, uh, and which, with good reason, in the Trump administration, we pulled Turkey out of our F-35 program. Uh, Now, they've got an election, a presidential election coming up in Turkey in May, and uh, I think we ought to be putting pressure on to have a free and fair and transparent election. When when that kind of election has been held in Turkey in recent years, Erdogan has lost. I personally believe if the Turkish people get a free and fair vote, Erdogan will be thrown out of power this May. If he's not, if he steals the election, if he takes it illegitimately anyway, then I think NATO's got to face up to whether uh, Turkey still belongs in NATO. And isn't Turkey a threat to Greece and to Israel? Well, he's, he's, well, it, threatened. It, it, he's threatened it, the islands. 
Yeah. I mean, Turkey has a very large standing military, not not so much because they worry about Russia, because it's uh, people worry it's aimed at Greece. And certainly Turkey's policies, while they've uh, varied a little bit, have been generally pretty hostile to Israel. And uh, this is not Turkey. This is I think this is Erdogan over a period of 20 years pursuing his Islamicist uh, notions of a new Ottoman Empire. I mean, it's not it's not an overstatement to say this guy has grand ambitions. Yep. They have nothing to do with the security of the West or American interests. That's fair. So, John, uh, you talked about elections. You just mentioned Donald Trump moments ago. We're we're getting there. Last couple of days, Nikki Haley intimating she's going to run. She's got two chances, slim and none. Well, yeah. Well, but John, you talked about running over the last couple of weeks for president in 2024. What are you with that? Well, what got me started this time was when Trump said that the Constitution had to be terminated so that he could be recognized as the winner of the 2020 election. You know, I've, that's I've filled a that dumb thing to say. <laughs> really? If he really said that, that's a dumb thing to say. Well, it's, he said it in one of his, his uh, Truth Social uh, uh, postings. You know, in the many security clearances I've gotten over the years, there is always a question you're asked. Have you ever advocated the overthrow of the government of the United States? And, of course, I have dutifully checked no each time because I haven't. But when you talk about terminating the Constitution, you are talking about overthrowing the government of the United States. And I just felt Republicans should have stood up and said, we reject that. You cannot be a conservative and call for the termination of the Constitution. Now, the other thing that came out today in one of the uh, uh, Twitter items was that uh, uh, Trump said that uh, – uh, we should that the Republicans should not uh, talk about reducing Social Security or Medicare. I mean, are the Republicans that dumb to even think about that? Well, I think. Look, I think uh, somebody's got to have the courage in this country at some point to say that these entitlement programs—Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid—that don't get appropriated every year by Congress. There's no decision by Congress that this year we're going to spend X hundred billion on those programs. It's just written into the law that if you if you meet the statutory requirements, you get Social Security, you get Medicare, Medicaid, whatever it might be. The entitlement program itself is a gross abdication of congressional authority over the budget. And by giving it up, uh, it's it's put us in a funding circumstance. By, no, we, we, have, we, have to take a, we have to make a break. And just my recommendation, what I would do if I was a congressman or a speaker or anything, I'd say everybody's living longer. Uh, you know, maybe we should increase the age, Raise the retirement age, age to Raise 68 age. or 69. Yeah. I'm, I'm 74. I enjoy working. 100%. You got, you got 30 you, years left. You never stop working over here. <laughs> at least. It's at least. At least. least. Every, every turn, time I heard on WABC, I hear John Katz and right. Sid John Rosenberger, Curtis Lee. All the time. Years. And, and, and the judge is over 72. God bless him. Yeah. Well, listen, well thank you, uh, right. Ambassador Bolton, and thank you for your wisdom, and thank you for speaking out for our country. God bless you, and God bless America. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me again. You, you got it, John. And we got a huge guest coming up next. Debt ceiling. The stock market was finally up today. What does the economy look like? Our very own, plus a star, of course, on Fox Business, Larry Kudlow on Cats at Night is next. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, here we are uh, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday and uh, the number one show at 5 o'clock. Following the number one show on on Fox Business uh, uh, with Larry Kudlow, 
and the number one show on WABC on Saturday mornings between 10 and 1 o'clock. The leading economist for our country, Larry Kudlow. Larry, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you, John. Well, it's kind of open-ended. Uh, I don't know where to start. So on the economy, we could start there. Well, let's start, yes. with, let's start with Larry. Let's at Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, Judge Weinberg, and John. Let's start with the stock market. It's been so volatile and had a couple of really brutal, I mean brutal days, as you know, earlier in the week. Now we were up yesterday a decent amount here. Market's over 33000 at this point. The stock market, you told me on my morning show a couple of days ago, get in, get in, play. Now, what are your thoughts right now on the volatility of the stock market? Well, look, at the, the toughest part for stocks, and they got slammed the other day, you had some very bad economic releases. So as somebody who would prefer to see a soft landing, retail sales fell. Industrial production fell, manufacturing fell, housing fell. Today, the numbers on existing home sales is not good. We're ending the year on a very poor note, Sid. So I, I'm worried right now, maybe more than I was a week ago. Uh, the only thing that seems to be holding is the labor market. The unemployment claims remain low. So that's good. America is still working. But almost every other number that came in looks really, really bad. And it bodes well for the January stuff. It bodes well. It bodes poorly, rather, for January. It bodes poorly for the new year. So I'm quite worried about this. Larry, Andrew Giuliani, quick question. Are you still bullish or are you at a hold point? Where are you right now? What do you recommend to WABC listeners? I'm always a long-term player. So I would say to you, in the long run, Keep adding to your position. Um, don't let your broker do it. Just buy the S&P 500 yep. index, okay? That's the way to do it. And hold it for the next 50 years, all right? And, and, and they dropped Vernado off yes. the S&P 500 today. Wow. Our old building. Yeah. Yeah, I How saw the that. mighty. Uh, yeah, that fallen. Yeah. Now, now the one happy. thing, Larry, yeah. that we, me and you talked about, it's a fact, is why would anybody, because housing starts are down, uh, construction is down in the toilet, uh, and the world's coming to an end for real estate people. It's a, I see the symbols already. Uh, and uh, who would sell his house that he's paying 3% interest on to buy another house to pay 6 or 7%? Well, that's a tough trade. Uh, I would agree with that. It's a tough trade. Um, my guess is mortgage rates in the next, you know, year to two are going to fall quite a bit. We're so that means we that. sell low houses for the next two years, basically. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about. I don't know about that. I mean, I I, I wouldn't go quite that far. I I'm not that. Passionate. I'm, exp- I'm, not I'm, that I'm 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 uh, exaggerating. Yeah, right right <laughs> this is not the end of the world. I'm just saying you've got a bunch of bad numbers. Uh, the fourth quarter ending last December looked like it might be quite decent. But you got downward revisions for all these numbers in November yep. and then bad numbers in December. Uh, Sid, when I talked to you, I don't know when it was, Monday or Tuesday, yep. you know, we didn't have those numbers. So that if you, if you go by the data, the data doesn't look good. I don't think it's the end of the world, by the way. I'm just saying, look, uh, we may have a recession. I still think it's a 50-50 proposition. Um, the Federal Reserve is going to hike rates one more time, would be my guess. They're going to hike rates a quarter. That seems to be the message. I agree with that. 
And um, we will, we will look here, here, let me give you something good. Okay. Joe Biden caved in today to Kevin McCarthy. Like Joe Biden has been saying, I'm not going to talk to the house Republicans. I'm not going to discuss any debt ceiling deals that would include spending cuts. Okay. And it's funny because at the top of my show, I said, Biden will not be able to maintain that position for another week. I was wrong. He folded this afternoon. For a day. Oh, that was quick. That was great. And you had to do it. You're right. By the way, I recommend uh, just bet the Giants. Take these seven and a half against the Eagles tomorrow night and bet your whole stock portfolio or not. But on a serious note. The point I was trying to make is, is, is a simple point that what we need here to improve the outlook for growth and prosperity we need less spending. Yep. We need lower taxing. We need less regulating. We need to stop punishing success. We should reward success. All this woke socialism from the Bidens, I think you're going to see the House Republicans come after them, and they are right to do so. There'll be no debt defaults. There's plenty of revenues to pay interest on 10-year bonds. But you cannot continue to increase spending by, you know, $2 billion, $2 trillion a year. I mean, $5 trillion of additional debt in Biden's first two years in office. So the Republicans are correct in the House. You're going to have a debt deal, but it's going to be accompanied by significant spending cuts, new spending caps, and new sequestration punishment if you don't meet the caps, kind of like 2011. Don Boehner negotiated with Barack Obama, did very well. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for the economy. It's a good thing for lower inflation. And it's a good thing for future economic growth down the road. So, Larry, I, yeah, our, I friend, yourself I, our friend Lally is in, uh, in Davos. I understand yes. three significant things happened. Russia didn't show up. The United States didn't show up. And China didn't show up. And they don't know if they should uh, uh, panic or wind their watch. And, and I understand the CEO of Pfizer has been cornered, and he kept his mouth shut. What do you hear from Davos? What I heard from Davos is the U.S. did show up, that a climate zealot named John Kerry. Oh, John Kerry yeah, showed up. Nobody, the president Gore, Gore showed up. At the top of his lungs, money, 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 said it nine times. The president he spent all this money. The guy's crazed. He's wrong about climate change. We should have a balanced approach to climate change. We should produce more oil and gas. Listen, Biden said this week, I mean, this is the piece de resistance. So Biden finally admitted that selling out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is supposed to be there for weather disasters and emergencies or a national security emergency, was really aimed at lowering gasoline prices. Now, that was pathetic, and that, by the way, violates the law that set up SPRO in the first place. One last so thing before we take a break. That they are on the climate. Larry, one last thing before we take the break, and I want you to have a great weekend, and I'll be listening tomorrow between 10 and 1, is India is buying 33 times more oil uh, from Russia than they did a year ago. Yeah, hey, I, I'm sure you're right. I hate to hear it. China is buying it, too. All they're doing is keeping Vladimir Putin financing his war in business. 
That's a tragedy. Have a great evening, Larry Kudlow. I'll be listening to you over the weekend. Thank you. Great, Larry Kudlow. Let's take a break now, and we're going to go to Lou Dobbs. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night, John Katsimatidis, the judge, Richard Weinberg, who I love, by the way, Andrew Giuliani, now a, a, an official member of an the honor. WABC team. Congratulations. He'll be on Sid and Friends in the morning and Cats at Night on a regular basis. And me, Sid Rosenberg, got a great guest on the phone. He was on my show just three days ago, the great columnist from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. Mike, welcome back to Cats at Night. How are you, pal? Very good. Thank you, Sid. Nice to have you back. A couple of days ago, you and I got pretty knee-deep in the whole document scandal, and you actually <laughs> wrote in your column, it was great, you said, quote, the president is in peril. You still feel that way? I do. I think that the uh, the document case itself, I believe, is significant beyond the documents in that where they are located, the fact that they were in the Wilmington house, and Hunter Biden was living there. They're in the garage, and he's driving the Corvette, which was supposedly the symbol of security there. That It was locked up so the, so the documents were safe, what the president foolishly said. Um, and, of course, the Penn-Biden Center. It, it's not as well known, but the, the Penn-Biden Center very much involved Hunter Biden as well. I mean, he was he was in on the meetings with the president of the University of Pennsylvania, who is now the American ambassador to Germany, thanks to Joe Biden. Uh, Hunter Biden was using Joe's office and Joe's assistant, whom he recommended for the job, a woman named Kathy Chung, to set up calls uh, for his business. Uh, so there's I think that here we see in, in very close proximity the business of Hunter selling influence and peddling his father's last name coming closer and closer to the president. It's no longer so much of an arm's length. I mean, we've had indications before the Tony Bobolinsky that uh, Joe is the big guy, uh, things like that. But now I think these documents have, have sort of shined a light on these places and we're seeing that the relationship between Joe and the Hunter business, I think, is even closer than we estimated. And I tend to believe that before it's done, we're going to find some more remarkable developments about this. You know, Michael, just yesterday in the post, you highlighted so many of Joe Biden's lies that he told throughout it. And you highlighted it specifically uh, with his speech to the National Action Network, for those of those who, who don't know that is Al Sharpton's network in terms of what he was actually trying to do from an enforcement standpoint. And I think specifically about how cops uh, should uh, fire at feet and arms and other extremities right there. Uh, you know, in the light of George Santos and everything we've seen on the Republican side of this, uh, where do you see the accountability for Biden and the administration? See any anything changing in that regard? Well, look, I think that that, that was one of the worst speeches um, to, 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 I don't want to say in mankind's history, but I tell you, the, the international police unions are furious with Biden uh, over that speech. I mean, the point that you cited about the police shouldn't shouldn't uh, 
use deadly force. They should, when they have to fire, they should basically shoot to wound, which is a Hollywood fantasy. Uh, In in a moment of peril, when you're facing the threat of an armed perpetrator, uh, the police officer aims, is is trained to aim, not to shoot to kill, but to hit the biggest body mass. That's the easiest thing to hit. If you try to hit an arm, a leg, the hand with the gun, you, you could you could very well miss. Very easily, it would it would not be enough to stop the assailant, and the officer or other innocent people nearby could be injured or killed. So the training is to stop. Once you've made the decision to draw your gun and to use it, you are taught to stop the assailant. And that means shooting for the chest cavity. And unfortunately, that does kill people many times. But the point is we give the officers authorization to use deadly force when they believe there is danger to themselves or others. And for Joe Biden not to understand that and to trot out all these cliches, these these worn out cliches about the police not looking like the people in the communities they work in and and the communities not trusting them. I mean, it's like he wanted to go back 20 years. And of course, he does this with Al Sharpton. But it, it was an outrageous speech. And uh, I, I urge you to find the uh, the police union, the International Union of Police uh, Organization statement. They said, you know better. We have talked to you about this many years, for many years. You said you understood this, and we will never endorse you again. Uh, that was It was quite a blistering statement in response to that speech. Michael, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I think the, the problem, that's a, that was a bad speech. But it's a continuation of the Obama policy, which is to make a wholesale attack against law enforcement. And Biden has just doubled down on that and tripled down on that. This has gone on for a long, long time in the left wing of the Democratic Party. Absolutely. But here he is in, in, in front of Sharpton um, and, and a largely black audience. Um, and he's stirring up this police versus blacks claim as though it's continued. But, you know, the police department, take New York City, for example, it has been majority minority for nearly 20 years. I mean, these ideas are so outdated that somehow the police are this white occupying army army in minority neighborhoods. It's just ridiculous. It's It's foolish. But it's like Joe Biden stuck in a time warp. Uh, Last question. We have to take a break after this. Uh, uh, Did I wear you out? No, no, no. no, no. (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great. uh, (laughs) President Biden has announced uh, that he's not going to decide if he's running for president until after uh, his State of the Union speech. Has the Democratic Party made a decision, especially when it appears in the in the New York Times and the Washington Post, that Biden is going to be out? You know, look, I, I think it's very much in play, John. I think that, uh, you know, he was sort of heading that way coming into the fall election. And when Democrats did better than they expected to, I think he got a kind of fresh bump out of that and thought, hey, I could ride this storm. I'm not I'm not so unpopular after all. And, you know, we can get some things done in the next two years, maybe, and and we can go forward. But I think this uh, document issue has really 
shined a harsh light on him and on his habits. And I think the Democrats are thinking, wow, this is, you know, he, he overestimated himself, you know, by saying he might run. I, I think it's hard to look at him and try to imagine him being president oh, God, for six no. more years. No, 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 and, no, no. And I think the Not Democrats cool. see the same thing we all do. Now you're wearing, cool. well, now Before you're we go off, one more thing. That, that Trump, President Trump, got screwed with the FBI going into Mar-a-Lago. Number two, all of a sudden, they, they, they find these papers. Is President Biden getting screwed by his own people? I don't think so, but we don't know why these papers turned up now. I, I, do. I grant you that. <laughs> I do. I, I, <laughs> I, I think he's being set up. by What do you do, Mike? And you're much smarter than I am, and so is John. But I've said on the morning show three times this week, this is no coincidence. I really believe it's his own people have taken him it's down. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. Somebody's, yeah. Well, that's well I think. could be. I, I, you know, I'm open to the possibility. I just haven't seen the evidence yet. That's well, fair. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And. And uh, let's pray for our country and our city and our state. I agree with that. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Man. You're great. You really are great. Now, this next guest, I can't get enough of this lady. This is now the third time this week I'm talking to her because of you, John. Twice on Cats at Night. She's once one on smart Friends. lady. She's one smart lady. And I got to tell you, between Governor Patterson, who I love, and Governor Pataki, who I love, defending Kathy Hochul, thank God for Melissa DeRosa, who's out there like me, saying, oh, there's no defense here. She screwed this up. Here she is back on Catch at Night. Even the post today says the math doesn't work. LaSalle is, to quote Howard Cosell, dead on arrival. Here she is, the great Melissa DeRosa. Hello, Miss Melissa. How are you? Great to be back, guys. How are you doing? Uh, great. And in the column that you just sent to John, he showed to me, the math says LaSalle's dead. She can sue. She can yell. She can scream. Take it to the but, floor. But, it's over. But you Governor, know, Patterson says, Governor Patterson says the budget is coming and she, the governor, whoever the governor is, has a squeeze on the testicles. Is that a quote? Is that a quote from David? No, it's not. That's my words. What do you think about what John just said? I try to make it a habit never to disagree with Governor Patterson. But in this instance, what I will say, Hochul has aligned herself as much as she can possibly with Carl Heasty, who's the Assembly Speaker, Democratic Assembly Speaker. And the two of them have been sort of you know, holding hands and walking and playing nicely together. Now, if you're going to try to screw the Senate Democrats and say, you just went after me on the judge, I'm now going to turn around and take it out on you. By definition, you also have to screw the Assembly Democrats because the, the members share districts. Every district where there's a senator, there's an Assembly person. So by going after the Senate Dems, you would also be going after the Assembly Dems. And that is a risk and a gamble I don't think Kathy Hochul is, is going to take. I mean, it would be declaring war on the entire legislature. And then you go from a situation where you have the Senate Democrats who just rolled you, and you're going to team them up with the Assembly Democrats who are going to now both want to come to kill you. So I don't, I don't think she's strong enough. I don't think that they know how but to do what it. What choice does he have? You know, what choices does she have? Because otherwise she's not governor. Somebody else is governor. Look, John, I know and I agree with you. I, we talked about that earlier in the week, but, but look what she just did, right? She just blew this vote for the first time since they've ever been doing confirmations. She tossed around this possibility she was going to bring a lawsuit. Well, not a possibility. She threatened she was going to bring a lawsuit. They voted down, and then she spent two days saying, ahamada, ahamada, ahamada. So now what? I mean, they've already... That's Jackie already, Gleason, son. <laughs> 
you know, she's now proven herself. She she basically look when I look at her record of the last year, my biggest takeaway is the most astounding thing Kathy Hochul has done is reoriented the press, the public and the legislature into thinking the governor no longer matters. She is basically another legislator at this point, vis-a-vis the, legis- the legislature. She is no more powerful than an individual senator. So I agree with you. She's got to turn this around and reorient things in Albany. But I don't think the budget's going to be the place to do it unless she wants to go to full-scale war with all of the legislature. Right. I agree with that, uh, too. Now, in the background here, we have uh, Governor Patterson. And Governor Patterson, what say you? You have been the defender of Governor Hochul. What say you today? Well, I think that the governor has to bring the legal action just to try to preserve something, because I think that the the uh, courts would rule in favor that the nomination should have gone to the Senate. It's the plain language doctrine. Plain language means unless there's any other language, then it's the plain language. It said the Senate. It didn't say a committee. I think she can do that. I think that what she also needs to do is to get out in front of the situation, even though she lost. In other words, you lose sometimes, but I would not like to hear that she's nowhere where she can't be found or she's doing a bunch of other things to try to distract us from what actually happened. It it happened. It's real. And now the the question really is um, what happens with the nomination? In other words, there. If she I can withdraw the nomination, does she have to pick from the list? Yes, eventually. Right. It's, uh, Judge Weinberg? All right. Want a, a quick, easy solution to this process? Sure. Okay. Right now, there's a vacancy on the uh, on the court. The acting chief judge of the state can appoint an appellate division justice to sit on that court. Right. So there'll be a full complement of judges. That's what he should do while this litigation goes but, forward. That gives an advantage, Honor, and it should Honor, be a common sense. A common right, sense. Listen, I'm the coordinator. We got Governor Patterson. Go ahead. Your Honor, how does the appointee get on the court without being confirmed by the Senate? It's an interim acting appointment. Capacity. It's an interim appointment. It's an acting. Andrew John is right. Is that Governor, allowed to be done? Can, that? It can be months, done. As long as you have months. a vacancy on the court, the chief judge of the state, now we have an acting chief judge, can appoint somebody from the appellate division to sit on the court. So you have a full complement. And if they're smart, they don't take a lefty. Listen to Russo. You're your, 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 your soundbite. Look, I, I think that this is all sort of short-term solutions, right? The bigger question is, because even if you do do that, right, and you appoint someone temporarily in an acting position, the question is, do you move along? And I guess this is sort of where there's a more dangerous question, right? Because if you accept that the Senate just rejected this candidate and that the committee served as the rejection. No, the Senate, the committee rejected, not the Senate. Correct. But I'm saying in order to get a new list, they were, there would have to be an official rejection from the Senate. Otherwise, she would have to pull it back and just pick from the existing list. So this is now like a procedural precedent issue. If she were to accept that the Senate rejected it, even though it was just the committee, then I would argue moving forward, the Senate has recreated the precedent for, ha- for what it means to have there be contemplation of the Senate. Right. Do you, do you, do you follow what no, I'm no, I do, I do. But, I, but I would say this to both Melissa and Governor Patterson, or the gentleman in the studio. At this point, to me, Sid Rosenberg, who becomes judge, doesn't matter. Uh, what we saw just now is a governor that's been castrated, and no matter what you do moving forward, that doesn't change 
whether you like it or not, David. So the question becomes, at what point does Kathy Hochul regain some of the credibility she lost this week, no matter what you do moving forward? You know, if I could, she's got a bigger problem than this, guys. I mean, yes, she botched the judge. Yes, she screwed up by not, you know, using the leverage of the pay raise. That storm out in western New York was a debacle. 47 people died. They completely mismanaged that. Eastside Access, which under our administration, Governor Cuomo, we brought literally to the finish line, was supposed to open in Penn Station. I'm sorry, in Grand Central Station on January 1. It's now 20 days late. They have no idea when it's going to open. There's governmentally, politically, things are just a debacle over there right now. So I don't know if it's a staff issue. I don't know if it's the governor herself because she's yeah. been lieutenant governor and she wasn't used to playing this role, although Governor Patterson, you stepped into it pretty seamlessly. So I don't know what's going on, but to your point, Sid, she's got to figure this out fast or else it's going to be bad for New York. No, we all agree else. that she has to figure it out fast. Last word, David Patterson, and then we're going to a break. Albert Einstein once said, that time is cylindrical. Over time, something's going to happen to give her a chance to get back in this game, and she better jump on it real fast. Is that the, is that under the, the, trans- the translation? That? That's is, perfect. No, it's true. The perfect. translation is crap happens. Yes, <laughs> I tell you. Thank you, guys. Have a great, great weekend, Melinda. Thank have you. Have a great weekend. Governor Patterson, thank, thank you all. Guys. Have a great weekend. Let's take a break right now, and then we come back to find out how we're going to live longer with Dr. Mihalos. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wrapping up another great edition of Cats at Night and a great week. Again, I'm so honored to sit in with my dear friend, John Sid Rosenberg. I'll be back on Monday on Sid and Friends. We've got Andrew Giuliani in studio. He's now a, an official member of the WABC team. Once again, congratulations. It That's is an great. honor to, to be, and again, to be with you, Sid Rosenberg, you. John Katzmatidis, all the great people at WABC. You're great, too. Thank you. And the judge is here, too. And now we wrap up this show all week long. This is great. With uh, the great doctor Peter Michalos, and he's given us so so much advice this week on what to eat, what not to eat, what to take, how to how to live longer. So what is the uh, what is the, the advice way today? to live longer than the whales did? <laughs> <laughs> that was the guest of the week. She was the guest of the week. That Lydia doctor. What um what, what is the advice today to get us another thirty or forty years, doc? Well, tonight is going to be about health in the cyber world. Eighty one percent of teens use social media, and sixty nine percent of adults. And an interesting lawsuit that Judge Weinberg would appreciate. Seattle schools are suing tech giants for harming young people's mental health. They're saying that the platforms are designed to be addictive. And on January 6th uh, last week, the public schools filed a lawsuit against TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchats, and holding them accountable for mental health crisis among the youth in their community. And they're accusing them of targeting their products to children. And they're linked to behavioral disorders, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, cyberbullying, resulting in suicidal thoughts are on the rise, making it more difficult to educate these students. And depression is up 30 percent. And the schools have to have more mental health professionals and are spending more money and resources to help these kids. And uh, these kids, basically tens of millions of these students are addicted to their devices. And they're seeking validation on the Internet instead of uh, real-life human connections. And Federal Law Section 230 protects the online companies from third-party persons posting on their platforms. But this lawsuit, they're arguing the behavior of the tech companies themselves is not protected speech. So it's going to be a very interesting case 
uh, to follow. Well, I think I think the doctor is right. I think uh, this will survive a motion to dismiss, and then we'll see what the evidence. It's an interesting yeah, novel have- theory, but I think it should survive a motion to dismiss. And the other thing people have to be aware of, we talk a lot about the fentanyl and other issues. We have to also say separately that a lot of uh, pedophile targeting children and a lot of the drug sales to minors are also being facilitated through a lot of uh, Internet activity and a lot of these uh, chat rooms and uh, various messaging uh, apps and drug dealers are taking advantage of them, too. So the Internet has also helped people get through the lonely moments of COVID with FaceTime and family members but it's also being used by other parties for nefarious purposes as well. So this is just something interesting to protect kids' uh, mental health because they're finding actually that the the size of children's brains who are on social media all the time, there's one published uh, recently about brain size actually might be shrinking because they're Uh. so focused just on certain tests. So between the marijuana, between the marijuana, and if kids smoke it, their, their IQ gets reduced by brain 10, cells die. Brain 10, cells 10 to 15 percent up to the age of 26. That's right. Between marijuana and between uh, games, we, we, our kids are in the trouble. Dumbing, the dumbing of America. The and I got to tell you, as the America. father of a young daughter, there's nothing that scares me more than social media and how you introduce that, or hopefully keep her away from it as long as possible. Well, we're out of time. Absolutely. Dr. We got to keep praying for America and listen to WABC. Thank you, Dr. Peter Michalos. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the the American American way. God bless America. And we do need God's help. Have a great weekend. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday.